Welcome to the Restoring Manhood podcast with myself, Troy Beyer, where uh, this is episode one coming to you from my beautiful closet (laughs) because I am a well-known, renowned podcaster. Actually, no, I'm not. Never done one. This is try number one, and you guys get to be my, um, you guys, meaning the three people that will probably listen to this, get to be my guinea pigs to see if um, anything I've got to say is worth listening to. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was mostly or pretty much why restore manhood? Like, why does this exist? Why do I want to, or why have I been um, posting posts and doing little blogs and stuff like that? And kind of where this idea came from. Also, I wanted to chat a little bit about who I am, um, why I think I have anything good to say, and why I think anybody might want to listen to anything I have to say. Like, who am I? Why, you know, why do I think I have anything to say better than anybody else? And the truth of the matter is, I don't necessarily think um, too highly of myself and think that I've got it all figured out. One of the main and biggest lessons that I am learning as a man that is growing in my own life is that we're all on this journey and we're all figuring things out as we go. And I think that one of the big problems that boys have as they're trying to make the transition to manhood is that they think that there's this thing that happens that all of a sudden they're a man. And today I'm a man. And um, in in ways, there are ceremonies that can happen. There are um, things that fathers can do to help kids and boys kind of transition into that manhood role easier. However, not every boy had that. Not every man today, not everybody my age or your age or in their 20s or whatever had a good dad or had anybody that could really build those processes or those um, kind of memory pegs or those, those footstools or footsteps into their life to help them kind of see that um, you're in that transition. And so I think that one thing that has um, that has happened in the over the years that has hurt boys as they're trying to transition to man men is that we have um, communicated either passively as a society that there are these events that happen that make you a man. And in my experience, most boys, high school age ish that are growing in demand, men or growing up into older versions of themselves, they think, or they establish their manhood and they base it in how many girls they can get a hold of, or they base it in whether they're old enough to drink or old enough to drive a car or um, able to do or achieve all all of these other things. When in the reality is this process of becoming a man has more to do with personal responsibility than anything else. And there's a few guys out there that are saying some really, really good things about being a man. And I just want to join that, that herd of guys, join that group and add my perspective and my input. Um, before I get into why restore manhood, why I kind of started this, I'd like to share a little bit about myself and where I come from. Um, what my experience is, what what work I have done in the area of working with specifically youth um, and kids and kind of all that kind of stuff. So my personal story um, of trying to figure out what it means to be me, what it means to grow into a man really, you know, starts way, way back. But I think what I'll do is today I'll go quick. So when I was, um, let's say I, I grew up homeschooled. I grew up as a as a homeschool kid. My dad was a pastor at a local church. My mom was, um, stayed, she stayed home and she homeschooled us. In fact, at a certain point, my mom started a homeschool program and taught other parents how to homeschool. She, she was a teacher before we were born um, and was a great homeschool parent. My, 
my dad as a pastor, you know, kind of taught us everything that we needed to know from the Bible and all that kind of stuff. And I lived the perfect little stereotypical bubble boy homeschool life. And it was great. Uh, my parents taught me and my brother some amazing things. Uh, we went to the desert a lot, rode motorcycles, raced go-karts, did a lot of really, really cool stuff. My school was uh, in, included a lot of activity because honestly, if had I been put into a normal school system, I most definitely would have been diagnosed as ADHD hyperactive type as opposed to the inattentive type. Uh, we'll get a little bit more into why I know the difference um, as a school psychologist today <laughs> later, but um, I would not have succeeded educationally at all had I gone to a normal school. And so really homeschooling was a big part of what helped me develop in my own life and kind of grow up and learn. Um, the problem is with my story or what happened in my story, which really kind of rocked my world was around 13, 14, 15 years old. In that time frame, my parents get a divorce. And, um, you know, I, I've given this story a couple times where when my parents separated or divorced, uh, it was like I was holding an orange my whole life. And, you know, an orange is a pretty basic thing. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows what it looks like. Say I'm holding this orange in my eye and my hand. I knew it was an orange. I was confident it was an orange. And I turned away and I looked back one day and realized that this orange I'd been holding was actually an apple. And I'd believed something completely false my whole life. And so when that event happened and my parents divorced, it really wrecked me because, you know, living bubble boy life where everything's perfect and in the you know Christian community and, and everything is supposed to be, you know, have this appearance of perfection, my parents get a divorce. And in that, in those, you know, in that time, um, early mid nineties, uh, in the Christian community, and at least in my head, other people's parents got divorces. You know, it wasn't my parents. My parents were perfect. Well, they weren't and they still aren't and I'm not perfect and no one's perfect, but that really at that time, absolutely obliterated my understanding of who I was, what I believed and where I was, where I was going. And, um, without getting too far in the weeds, it took me until I was about 23 years old. So close to 10 years before I really turned it around and before I really figured out, um, or started down the road of becoming an actual man, because as I lived life from 14 to 22, I established my value in a lot of things. Um, my value was in whether or not I could be very successful financially. I was in mortgage banking at the time. I went in very young, actually worked for my dad. And um, then after that, left working for my dad, worked for another company, worked for a company after that, and made a lot of money in my early, you know, when I was a late teenager, early 20s. And I established a lot of my manhood and whether I was successful in business really young. Um, or tried to establish manhood in whether I had the prettiest girlfriend or, you know, whatever else comes along with that. Or thought I had established my manhood as whether I could throw the biggest party and have the most people at that party um, and whether everybody thought I was cool. I mean, all the, all the standard stuff. It's none of this is groundbreaking or new. I mean, there are many men that have a much more intense, crazy story than I. I don't pretend to have the... The, the gnarliest story. Um, have some pretty crazy stories that go along with my life, but I'm in comparison to people I know that have been through some stuff. I know I haven't been through everything. Um, I've got to know a lot of people who've been through stuff, but I know I haven't been through everything. So really, as I lived through this life and kind of like, you know, was trying to redefine what I knew and went through this crazy cognitive dissonance um, of 
trying to create a reality or create a belief system and find a fundamental belief ground. At about 23 years old, I find myself in you know Vegas with some friends and some stuff goes down. It was pretty far out of bounds compared to what I thought myself and my best friends were um, cool with, you know, cool with being a part of. And it hit me hard that this is where I was. This is who I had become. These were my best friends. These guys I loved, I respected. And what I, what rang true in my head on that evening, when I kind of saw this come together was that, um, you will become those who you hang out with the most and the books that you read. And as I kind of processed that, I realized that I needed to make a change that I needed to figure out and figure out who I was and go that direction instead of passively kind of sit and take a ride as to, you know, wherever, you know, this joke I was living was going. And so um, made, made some changes, made, made a stand, um, lost a lot of friends at that moment. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. So I had one friend that was, you know, a close buddy of mine, and he was really my only friend. And he was really right there for me. He helped me kind of figure out who I was, helped me find a center, helped me find a new direction. And really what that was is that he was working at a church and he was working with youth. And he goes, hey, man, how about you come volunteer with these kids? Um, when he first asked me, I remember thinking, I'm not there. Like, I don't know if I'm living a life that I would be willing to encourage other kids, <laughs> junior hires to, to live. And so um, eventually, as I kind of got to a point where I looked at myself, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm living a life and making decisions that I would be okay if, you know, other kids, youth knew that I was living, then I felt like I was, you know, ready to start working with youth. Because there's one thing I didn't want to be. It was a hypocrite. And that was one of my biggest problems um, when I was younger, growing up in the Christian community, is that I saw around me so much hypocrisy and so much of a mess that um, that was one thing I didn't want to be. So started working with youth and really realized that this is what this is what I was made for. This is, I think, part of the calling that God had deep inside me. And so I worked with these, this group of guys. They were sixth grade, and, and I started working with that group of guys. We started a small group, and then that small group kind of kept going until they were in eighth grade. And in eighth grade, I realized, I'm like, man, it'd be really cool if we could study manhood with, these, with this group of guys. And so I started kind of building this basic little curriculum that I worked with these, this group of guys and they were in eighth grade and, and they loved it. One of the biggest things that I remember cognitively or deliberately doing is making sure each of those guys had a mentor outside of, you know, the small group they were coming to with me where they could go process the stuff that we were talking about. Like we would talk about these certain character traits of, of what manhood was as they're getting older. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't the only one that they were going to and that they could bounce this off someone else. And so I, the ones that had dads at home, I totally sent them home to their dads. And I ended up becoming good friends with some of their fathers because um, I think they saw that, uh, that what I was doing was helping their relationship with their kids. And I still, to this day, in what I do for work today, believe that my biggest impact can be when I help a dad connect with his son. And if I can help a dad and a son connect and spend time together, then that is infinitely more valuable than any impact I can have on, a, on that student or that kid, right? Because that dad and that son, they'll be father and son for the rest of their lives, or at least the rest of the dad's life. Hopefully, he'll, you know, the son will live longer, right? Um, 
but if I can help that relationship be fixed, then I'm, that's infinitely more valuable than if I just, you know, try to become the guy that this kid goes to and I become the mentor. I don't necessarily need to be, be the mentor. I just need to be the guy that helps fix that relationship. Um, so that's kind of my story. And that's the beginning of restoring manhood, really, because ever since that time, when I started working with a group of eighth graders, and there was, I think, 10 or 12 of them, um, working through this study on biblical manhood or what it, you know what it means to be a man and come through all these these biblical principles and stuff like that, the more I, I kind of found that this is something that our society is in desperate need of. And um, at this point, those guys are, good grief, they're probably 26, 27 now. Um, it was, that was... 13 years ago that, <laughs> that, that I started off on that little process. And over the years, I've had a lot of ideas. And then over the last five years, I've been kicking around this restoring manhood thing. And um, just recently decided, you know, it's, it's time to go and figure out where this goes. And really, if, if I can help one guy, two guys, five guys, um, kind of answer a few small questions in their life and kind of help them define, help you define what it means for you to answer the calling of being a man in your own life, then that's a success. I mean, it, this isn't about, I don't think I have magic things to say. I don't think I have all of the answers, but what I do know is that as men, we need other guys to come alongside us and it helps to share our stories. And I got a lot of them, (laughs) a lot of stories over the years. Um, to kind of skip and jump forward to who I am now and kind of what my experience is at this point. So I am a, a program director for special education students, kindergarten through 12th grade for a school in my town. Um, you know, we have four campuses and, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. And I work with families of students, kids um, who have special needs. And a lot of them are, are boys and a lot of them have um, ADHD. And I get to work with those parents and those kids and hopefully help those kids see that um, really one of my my things is that, you know, school's not really meant for a lot of, a lot of boys. And I try to come alongside and help those families, those teachers and those boys not lose confidence while they're in school and realize that the energy that you've got in there that energy will take you really far. Don't let anybody ever tell you that that energy that is inside of you is bad or that it's not okay. And so that's one of the things that I work hard with. Um, I, I also am a credentialed school psychologist and I am also a board certified behavior analyst. And so I can, I work um, it, through my education and through what I do, I work hard to um, to try to help people, help kids, help the team define behaviors, figure out why behaviors occur, do analytics on um, you know, what comes before behavior, what comes after behavior. And you can kind of help a teacher understand why a kid is who they are. You know, you can have a person that or a kid in the classroom. It's one easy example, a kid in the classroom scream, but he can do it for multiple reasons. One, one kid can be screaming because he doesn't like to do math. And every time he screams, he gets sent outside. Great. I'm not doing math. Another kid could be screaming because, well, that kid actually does the exact same screaming thing because he likes the attention from the teacher and he just needs, you know, someone to talk to. And so, but you would deal with both of those kids completely different. And so what being a board certified, certified behavior analyst does is it helps me help others understand human behavior. I absolutely love studying human behavior and trying to figure out why we do what we do. Um, one of these statements that I will stand on that I believe is very true that uh, irks many that I say this to, but I believe it's true, is that 
all human behavior is a product of a history of reinforcement. And so I won't really talk about that too much in this podcast. I think I'll, in future podcasts, I'll dig in deeper into human behavior and kind of helping us understand our own behavior better. Um, also, as a school psychologist, I've got to do cognitive assessments and, and define, you know, human talents and kind of look at abilities and weaknesses and strengths and weaknesses of, of the way human beings process information. And knowing and learning what I've learned through being a school psych and a behavior specialist has really helped me understand myself better and has really helped me as I have tried to identify how to become who I want to be. Because if you can understand your own behavior and you can understand why you do what you do, then you can start figuring out how to get to where you want to go. And I think that's one thing that we mess up a lot of times is that we want to go a direction. We try to set all these goals, but we don't do it right because we don't understand our own behavior. We don't understand why we do the things we do. Um, understanding behavior allows us to get rid of habits, build new habits, um, become stronger, understand the reason why other people think do things to us or around us so we can start interacting with others. Understanding human behavior, in my opinion, is one of the strongest, best tools that we as men can have to succeed in our own lives and to succeed for our families, for our friends, for our kids, for our parents, for those that are dependent on us. We can succeed better in this world and better provide a um, just a cornerstone in, in our environments, if we understand why people are doing what they're doing. So anyway, that's the behavioral side. That's something that I would love to talk to in the, about in the future. Um, and really to talk a little bit about why restore manhood. Um, I think that we are in a very weird place and we have been for a long time, but I think we're in a really weird place now in history where Manhood is, is, I mean, I, we've heard it a hundred times. And if you listen to podcasts of a lot of the guys who do good stuff and, and really are, are fighting the man battle, I mean, you could say that manhood's under attack and saying that I'm a man is almost an, a uh, statement that'll make you an adversary to society. <laughs> and I think that we need to take it back. But I think that as, a, as men in, in this society, in this day and age, we have lost the right to call ourselves men. And the those that are defining manhood are really painting a caricature, which is an over-exaggeration in every way of what manhood is. And so what manhood is, and by in the eyes of, of many, is a joke of what the, compared to what real manhood is. You know, manhood is this, this overbearing, ridiculous, you know, joke of a, you've got to kill things and hunt things and drink beer and chicks and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, that is not what manhood is. Manhood is, is not an overblown, ridiculous form of anything. Manhood is more about whether you can take responsibility for who you are. And as I've been asked in the past, and I've been asked to define manhood um, by several, you know, by kids I've worked with or, you know, stuff like that, I've come up with the, with one of the, the simplest definitions I can come up with is, you are a man once you can recognize your own flaws and take responsibility for them and take responsibility for fixing them. What that really means is that there are so many things in our lives that can create flaws in us, whether we were parented correctly, whether 
you know, something happened to us that was not our fault. There's infinite things that happen to us that are not our fault that cause us to have weaknesses, that cause us to have flaws in our character, or cause us to have whatever flaw. But the moment a man recognizes those flaws, then takes responsibility for fixing them himself, then he's a man. And so what I would love to do is be a part of the journey of restoring manhood in the United States, or maybe just in five guys. I don't know. But this podcast, this, um, this restoring manhood thing is just one small tool in the many tools that are out there that will hopefully encourage many or one or two or whatever you encourage you to see your own flaws, to decide where you want to go, who you've been called to be, and to take responsibility for becoming that because this world needs us. The people around you need you. This world needs men. Men stand firm. Men, can, men are leaders. Leaders are servants. Servants put others above themselves. That's what men are. And there's a lot that goes with that. Um, servant does not mean that you are a, um, that you're just a doormat. But servant does mean that you make decisions with those who follow you in mind. You don't make decisions for yourself. Any great leader that you think of or imagine or study will have made all of their decisions that were great based on what is best for those that follow them. And as men, we need to become that. Today, this world needs men. I want to help. I want to... I want to continue on the journey that I'm on in bettering myself. I have not achieved the standard. I am not the standard. But I've learned some lessons along the way of my life that I can share. And hopefully some of those lessons can help strengthen other men and that we can come together and we can restore manhood, that we can take back the name man because man has been made a joke for way, way too long. And it's our fault. And the first thing that we need to recognize as our fault and our flaw is that we have allowed the word man to be completely destroyed. And we need to restore it. We need to become men that have earned the right to be respected. Men don't get respect because they're just a dude or because you're a man. You don't get respect because of the way you look. You get respect because you've earned it. And we have it. We've lost it. So we need to earn it back. So go with me. Let's see if we can try to restore manhood and um, earn this thing back. This is Troy Beyer. And in God's name, giddy up.